Okay. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prepare, uh, prayer and prepare our hearts uh, to study God's word. Yes. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together as your people, as your eternal family, and to study your word. And you know each and every man and woman in this room. You know all of our struggles, all of our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our doubts. Uh, you know about our struggles with understanding your truth, and you understand our desperate need for faith. And so my prayer is that today as we get into your word and talk about your word, as we talk about your salvation, as we talk about your son Jesus, um, Holy Spirit, be with us. Open our ears and our eyes and our minds and our lives to these truths. Please help us to receive them and help us to believe them. Help us to just step out of the world for a few hours now and um, honor and worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, our, our text for this morning, our jumping off text, will be 2 Timothy 1.9. It's in the bulletin on the left-hand page there. And it says, uh, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, from all eternity. God saved us. He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, his own plan, his own decree, uh, and grace. Remember, God's salvation is a gift. We do not deserve it. He reaches down into a world full of undeserving people, and he says, I love you too much to let you continue living that way. And in his grace, he pulls us out of this world and out of condemnation and saves us and forgives us. And so it says, "And uh, which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So Christ Jesus has been the plan all along, right? And throughout all eternity, that plan has been playing out. All around, and if you are a believer in this room this morning, not only are you in this church room, but you are in Christ Jesus. In the same way that Noah and his family and all the animals were in the ark. And because we are in Christ, we are spared the condemnation and the wrath that is coming upon this world. And it's a joy to know that. Um, So... Um, um, what I'm hoping to do today, we're going to actually focus mainly on Scripture today instead of on the decree. But I do want to quickly remind you of chapter 3 of the decree and what we've been talking about. So if you see where it says we believe here, it says we believe that God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor has fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. So from eternity past, God has decreed everything that will take place. And now in time, that is taking place. And what we see is, is that this decree was based on God's holy and wise counsel. Well, who was he counseling with? Himself. 
when you know it all and when you are all knowing and all powerful and all good and all omniscient, all power, then you counsel with yourself and whatever he decrees is good. So it was his counsel and whatever things come to pass, but he is not the author of sin. So God decreed that the devil would cause Adam and Eve to fall and God decreed that Adam and Eve would turn away from his truth and fall into the lie. He decreed all of that, and yet Satan is accountable for his own choices, and Adam and Eve are accountable for their own choices. So he's not the author of sin, and he does not have any fellowship therein. So this world is full of sin, and our lives are full of bad choices that we've made as well. And the reality is, is God is not the one. He decreed that you would do these things, but he is not the author of those things your free choices and your free will is what decides whether we follow and obey him or turn away from him. And, and But he knows all of these things because they're all decreed. And it is not a violation of our liberty or a violation of second causes. Well, what that means is, is that God has determined that the reason that you were saved, he decreed that you were his child and he decreed that you would be saved. But he also used second causes to bring that about. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, some of you in this room were born into godly families and you were just simply raised in the word all of your life. Well, God decreed that you would be born into a believing family. And he made sure that your mom pulled you by the ear and made you listen to the preacher. He made sure that your mom and dad got you to Sunday school. He made sure that you heard the word. Not only that, if you are from a godly family, what that means is, is that your mom and dad were probably praying for your salvation. So prayer and the preaching of the gospel are secondary causes. It's the choices of men and women and what they do. And so God decreed everything that would take place, but he allows these second causes to be the way that his providence falls out. Does that make sense? But we struggle with that because we see a world full of people who die and go to hell and... To think that God would decree that, that God would decree that certain people would be saved and certain people would be damned. That's about like the uh, law. Uh, the man's law is second. A secondary cause. Yes. Mm-hmm. And God, you know, told everyone other than just the Ten Commandments, you have to have other rules and regulations right. to live by. Right. And so when we see God's decree and we think about uh, sin, it's like, well, if he's the one that decreed these things that would happen, then it's his fault. Like if he made me this way, if he knew that I was going to be a non-believer and he decreed that I was never going to believe on him, then it's his fault. But remember, God does not violate our will. He simply turns us over to our own desires. He allows you to be who you want to be. Yes. And he knew you from eternity past. He is not the one that makes us evil, but he does allow us to choose what we will do. Yes. He did not force Adam and Eve to eat that piece of fruit. That came of their own free will. They chose to do that. And so when we think about these things, there's a struggle there. Because you would think that someone who 
was in hell would be like, well, it's his fault. He made me this way. He's the one that made me a sinner. He's the one that decreed from eternity past that I was going to be this way. But that's not the way it works. God has turned us all over. So this person who is in hell could, if that be the case, could scream out and say, well, that's not what? Fair. You made me this way and now I'm suffering eternally for the way you made me. But God did not make us evil, did he? He created us good. He created Adam and Eve good. And it was through their turning away from God's decree, turning away from God's will, turning away from God's truth that caused them to fall into error. And so what does God do? He simply turns them over to their own desires. And so we need to understand a few things as we wrestle through this decree. And we talked about these last week. Number one, we need to remember that God is sovereign. He's the Lord. He's he's in charge. But he is also good. God is God, but he's also good. Is there anybody that didn't get a copy of this uh, sheet last week? Uh, the sheet that we used? It says the scriptural authority for the doctrine of God's eternal decree. If you got that. Everybody still got that? Okay. So really quick, a couple of reminders because we are going to. We are going to get into, we're going to be right in the text today. And we're not, as soon as I get going reviewing this, we're going to jump into the Bible. And we're going to stay there the rest of the, the Sunday school lesson. But So it is essential for us to study God's eternal decree that we keep three things in mind. We need to remember that God is sovereign. Number two, God is good. And number three, this is a biblical reality. Like the Bible teaches that God is God and we are not. And so... Um, if you see these 10 uh, topics, each one of these topics also has verses of Scripture that I would beg and encourage you to go in and read on your own and see that these are not just things that are just made up to prove a point. They're, they're statements to help us to see that this is what the Scriptures teach. So number one, God's decrees are eternal. God's decrees are eternal. What do we mean by that? When did when were they've been forever? They were they there's never been a time that his decree was not. Not only that, those decrees are being played out in time. And then on the other side of this age, in the age to come, those decrees are still going to be in place. God's decrees are eternal. Number one. Number two, they are immutable. What does it mean to say that something is immutable? It does not change. Right. Good. He's not going to change his mind. God does not ever say, oh, well, I think I will change my mind. His decrees are immutable. Number three, they comprehend all events. There's a guy named R.C. Sproul. I don't know if y'all ever heard of him or not, but he's from Legionnaire Ministries down in Florida. He's dead now. He actually just died a couple years back. But one of his famous quotes is, is that um, there is not one radical molecule in all the universe. Like every atom of oxygen, hydrogen, calcium, whatever, there's not one single molecule that is outside of God's control or outside of God's decree. It's all his. All of creation belongs to him and he is running it like a. like the maestro in the symphony. It's all taking place the way it's supposed to. So. This, these decrees comprehend all events. Everything that has ever taken place in the world is a part of God's decree. There's nothing outside of it. Number four, the decrees are of God are not conditional. God does not say, if you will do this, I will do this. Right? 
His decrees are not based on a condition. So it's not like God looked down through the quarters of time and said, okay, I see David and I see that one day he's going to believe on me. So I'm going to decree that he is my child. You see, what's happening is, is if you do it that way, you're basing God's decree on what? What are you basing God's decree on? Well, on what you do. And do you understand the problem? If I trust, if, if, if God's decree is based on the actions and the thoughts and the emotions of men, what does his decree look like? It's chaos. You see? So it's not based on any conditions. He's God. He's in charge. Uh, number five, they're sovereign. Right? When he's sovereign, that means he reigns. Number six, they include the means. So God has taken into consideration in his decree that we would pray, that we would share the gospel, that we would fall into sin, and that he would restore us through his grace. Like all of those are part. And so all of the secondary conditions of life are still a part of his decree. Um, They determine the free actions of men. Now, that's one we'll have trouble with because if God is the one that said it's going to happen... And he is determining the free actions of men. It doesn't sound so much as if man is free, does it? Do you understand where that struggle will come from inside of me? If God's the one that decreed it, then what does it matter what I do? It doesn't matter. But that's fatalism. Right? That's just a a fatalistic view. Well, it doesn't matter. We're going to die. And that's it. And whatever God says is whatever God says. And that's just how it's going to be. So I can do whatever I want. But the child of God understands that God is good and that God is in control. And anything that God decreed is for my good and his glory. Anything that God decrees is for my good and his glory. And we live in a world that is full of sin that cannot comprehend that. I can promise you this morning... That there is no good in uh, Loretta's mind about the death of her husband right now. And it's not. Listen, Jesus wept at the graveside. It's a horrible thing to lose a loved one. Right? And some of you in this room have lost spouses. And, And you can grieve with her in that way that I would never understand. So the reality is this is a horrible and tragic thing that has happened. However, in God's eternal plan, it's going to work out for her good and his glory. Yes. You see how that works? And we have a hard time seeing that because we're human and we're not God. And so on the other side of eternity, after judgment day, when we all stand there and he separates the sheep from the goats and all of the goats get cast where? In the hell. And all of the sheep inherit what? The eternal new heavens and the new earth. What we're going to be able to see, we'll be able to see it from his point of view. And this is what we're going to find out. That every person that he judges guilty and sends to hell are going to be a glorification of his justice. What do I mean by that? God is just and he always does what is right. And those who are going to be in hell are going to be a manifestation of his 
eternal justice. But all of those that are going to heaven, how many of them are going to heaven? How many of us going to heaven deserve to be there? None. So every sheep that inherits the eternal kingdom is going to be a manifestation of his eternal what? Actions. His eternal actions, but goodness. his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace. You see, it's all going to magnify him. And no one that's going to be in hell will be able to say that's not fair. Because God is a just God and they are getting what they deserve. But there's not a single person that's going to be in heaven that's going to brag and be able to say what? I deserve to be here. It's going to be a manifestation of his mercy and his grace. You see how that works? And so as long as I leave it in his hands and realize that everything that takes place in my life is in his control, then I can rest in his eternal goodness. I can rest in his eternal decree. I can rest in the fact that he is God and he is in control. And it gives me comfort and it gives me assurance. Let me ask you a question. Is uh, this uh, here, far as uh, positions in heaven, are they, is God going to recognize amongst the sheep, the positions? Like the CEO, uh, the uh, worker in the um, factories. Are there going to be different? Uh, um, yeah. Well, it's hard for me to answer that. Yeah. But I do know that two of his disciples asked him, he said, hey, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand yes. in, the, in the kingdom? And he's like, you don't know what you're asking. Uh, that's my father's business. Like, yeah. you know, and the reality is, is. They were arguing about who was going to be the highest, and he was sitting there telling them that he was fixing to go to the cross and die. And what is the point? That it's our servitude and our humbleness and our lowliness that get, gives the most esteem in heaven. I base this on the, uh, the uh, money that he gave to the three Right, right. Fellows. And that would be more in a, that would be, the talents would be more in account with the gifts that he's given you here on earth. What have you done with what? You've done, yeah, right. you've done great with what right. I've given you here. I'm going to give you right. a lot more. Right. And, and what happens is the child of God begins to understand that all of these gifts that he has given me, uh, I'm not worthy of these things. Like, and, and not only that, but he chided the, in the parable, he chided them and he said, you wicked servant. You've done what you you've only done what you're supposed to do. Like you 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 really haven't done anything yet. You've only done what you should have done. And so in humility and humbleness, we recognize that God has gifted us with the things he's gifted us with. And then we turn them around. And instead of worrying about using them for our glory, we worry about using them for his glory. And in that sense, that's how we will be lifted and recognized in the kingdom that we live for him, not ourselves. And, and um, so each of those servants in that parable were concerned about what the master yes. thought. And the reason that they were doing the things that they were doing was for the master's glory and the master's good. It wasn't so that they could get a bonus on their paycheck or anything. Yeah. They were doing it because they loved their master and they wanted to please him. And, and, we, and we should do the same. So, again, um, they determined free actions of men. God himself works in his people that faith and obedience, which are called the conditions of salvation. That's hard for us to grasp. 
But remember what we read last week in Philippians? You need to work out what he has worked in. And he is the first cause. He is the one that said, let there be light. He is the one that breathed breath into Adam's nostrils. Before that, what was Adam? Before he breathed breath into his nostrils? Clay. Clay. That's exactly right. And what you and I can understand and, and love and appreciate is the fact that if you are a child of God, if you're regenerate, if you're a born-again believer, it's because he said, let there be light, because he breathed new life into a dead body yes. and said, live. And he has given you that. Now, so, so think about this. When I get to heaven one day, which statement will glorify God more? I chose God or God chose me. That's exactly right. And not only that, but if I rely on or look for my assurance in my choices, I'm going to start to realize that my choices fluctuate, don't they? Right? But God's choice never fluctuates. And so if my salvation is based on the fact that he reached down to a world full of people who did not deserve him, did not deserve his salvation, did not deserve his forgiveness, did not deserve his mercy, and yet he said, I love you, and you're not going to live that way anymore. And he reaches down and pulls you out of the world and sets you apart as his own, then your assurance is always going to be based on his choosing. It's going to be based on his Immutability, that he does not change, that he is eternal, that these things are not based on conditions, they're based on him. And so it gives me a foundation for my salvation that this world can never shake. Your salvation is not based on your faith. It's based on the faith that God has given you. If it's up to me to believe, I would never do it. Now, once he saved me, what happens? He sets my heart and my will free to be able to do the things that he has commanded me to do. And so I want to be obedient. I want to do the things that he's called me to do. Why? Because that's what he's called me to do. He called me to be obedient. So, again, the decrees render um, the all events certain. Right? So, before the world was founded, it was already decreed that his son would come and die on that cross to save his people. Everything that has ever happened has has certainly happened, and everything that he has promised that is going to happen in the future will certainly happen. It's all going to take place because he's the one in charge. And then last of all, while God has decreed the free acts of men, the actors have been nonetheless responsible. Right? So the statement is this. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. God is sovereign. And yet we are responsible. And so what I want to do, I want to go to a text of scripture today and I want to look at this. And for those of you who have been a part of our uh, Monday Bible studies, um, you are going to benefit uh, tremendously from being a part of those Bible studies. Because what Paul is going to go through in this text is going to be right in line with what we've been learning in there. So turn with me to the book of Romans. And we're going to start with a one paragraph of the end of Romans chapter 8. And then we're going to go through Romans chapter 9. So as we read and study through this text this morning, 
Um, let's remember that all of this is relevant to God's decree. And not only that, but it's relevant to our salvation and it's relevant to our hope. So um, Romans chapter 8. And we'll start with verse 28 because that is a verse that we all love. And uh, if I can have somebody uh, read that for me, if you want to read, we're going to read verses 28 uh, through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. Somebody got that? Okay. Wayne got it? Oh, Roy's got it? Go ahead. This is the uh, King James. All right. And we know that all things work together to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And he knows all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did for no, he also did uh, destined to be confirmed to the uh, image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestine them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified all right let's stop there and talk about that just a second so look what paul is saying here paul is saying we know that all that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So what is he saying? For those who love God, the person who has God's love in them and loves God recognizes that everything that happens in life happens for our good and his glory. We know that all things work together for good. Yes. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so as we are in Christ this morning, as we talked at the beginning of the lesson today, if you are in Christ, you realize that this is all going to work out. That Christ has bore our wrath on the cross and that we are safe and we have an eternal hope and it gives us an assurance. So we know that all things work together for good. And then what we see here next is something known as the golden chain of redemption or the golden chain of salvation. And so we're going to see five links in this chain and all five links of those chains are all linked together. And if he starts at the beginning of the chain, he finishes at the end of the chain and there's no break in the chain. So watch what he says. Because those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus is the firstborn. If you are a child of God, you are his brother. Yes. All right. Uh, and those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Yes. All right. So all of this is taking place. There was predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And so what it's saying is for all of those that are his, he knew you before the foundation of the world. And it doesn't mean to say because he knows all creatures. He knows all of creation. He knows the name of every star in the universe. But to say that he knew you is a spiritual intimacy that only belongs to the child of God. He, for, he knew you in an in intimate way in the same way that a husband knows his wife. That there's a spiritual and a physical bond there 
that is special and intimate. Remember, we're known as what? The body of Christ, which is his bride. Jesus is the uh, groom and we are his bride. And for all of those that are his bride, there is an intimate knowledge. He knew you. It doesn't say he knew what you were going to do. It doesn't say he knew what. It says he knew whom. There's a, what's the difference in a what and a whom? What is a whom? What is a whom? A person. And what is a, a what? Right. So it's not. he does know all of your actions, by the way. But his choice of you was not based on your actions. It was based on his knowledge. It was based on him and his love for you. He knew you. Think about that. He knew you before he ever said, let there be light. He already knew who you were. And his love was upon you. And so for all of those that he knows, he predestines. And again, we hate that. A lot of people hate that term because... If God is the one that predestined things, that means I'm not in charge. And if he's in charge, if he's God, then that means that I'm not. But for the child of God, for the one who is known of him, for the one who has his love upon him, that brings joy, doesn't it? To doing his will. Yeah, it brings joy to know that he chose me. It brings joy. And not only that, it, not only does it bring joy... It brings humility. It's not something that you poke your chest up and run around everybody and say, see, look at me. I'm a special because it humbles me to think how undeserving I truly am. And he has used his decree and all of providence and all of my life to show me how unworthy I really am. God did not choose me because of who I am. God chose me because of who he was. And it keeps me humble, doesn't it? You know, God designed the brain to make, even uh, at birth, you know, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. Sure. Sure. But as you live longer, you learn more about what the uh, action might be. But, uh, you know, even the child knows... uh, Whenever they hurt or something right. of this nature right. that hasn't been talked to, it, it's just there's something built into the body mm-hmm. that gives them that knowledge. Yep. And God gives you a knowledge that you don't know you have. Right. And for the child of God, we have a knowledge within us that he loves us, that his affection is upon us. So whom he knows, he predestines. Now, for all of those that he predestined, what does he do next? What's next in the chain? If we are predestined, then what happens next? Glorified. No, that's not the next one. Look at verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. We're in verse 30, Romans 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. What has to happen in order for you to know salvation? You have to get the call. What does that call sound like? You want to know what it sounds like? Adam, yeah. where are you? Okay. Yeah. Remember he called Adam in the garden? Yeah. 
Why did he have to call Adam? Because he was hid. Why was he hid? Because of his shame. He was a sinner and he was ashamed. Yep. And he covered himself with fig, fig leaves. Yep. And we as human beings do the same thing. We cover ourselves with our hobbies and our habits and our careers and our families and, and our health and our wisdom. And look how smart I am and look how good looking you are. And yep. you, you see what we do? We take all of these these temporary things and try to clothe our inadequacies and our nakedness. Yes. And so what does God do? He calls out to us. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. And when they what? Hear me, they come. Yes. You see how that works? Why are you a believer today? Because at some point in your life, God called you and said, I love you too much to let you keep living that way. Yes. Right? Now, you did choose to follow him. There's no doubt about that. But who did the first choosing? He did. Let's leave that in his hands. And it gives you an assurance. Because it's not based on you. It's based on him. And that gives me hope. Because if it's based on my feeling and it's based on my faith... I'm going to fall on my face. It gives us a hope that this world can't offer us. You see? So he called me, and then those he called, he also justified. Right? It means that God declared you righteous. He said, you are justified in my son and what he's done for you. Jesus died on the cross. He took away how many of your sins? All of them. And not only did he take away all of your sins... But he shared his goodness with you. And because of that, when God the Father looks down from heaven on you this morning, he does not see your inadequacy. He does not see your guilt. He does not see your sin. He does not see your unbelief. He does not see your anger and your pride. He sees you clothed in his son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. And you are just, not based on you but based on what he has done for you. He has justified you. All right? So you see how that works? It says, We know that all things work together for good to those who, uh, for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, because those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And again, that chain is never broken. All of those he foreknows, he calls. You might ask a question. Well, what, what's going to happen to that little fellow over there running around in the jungle that has no clothes on and has never heard of Jesus in his life? Right. He does have a knowledge that there is a God, but somebody has to get to him with what? The gospel. And so what we know is this. If God has known that fellow from eternity past, God is going to what? Call him. How's he going to call him? He's going to make sure that a missionary or a preacher or somebody gets to him and says, let me tell you about Jesus. He's going to call him. So nobody's slipping through the cracks, guys. On judgment day, Jesus is not going to be out there standing there pulling his hair going, oh, man, there's old Bill, and I missed him. 
You, you see how that works? Like he, but why? Because he's the good shepherd and he lays his life down for his sheep. And if he's the good shepherd, how many sheep does he lose? None. None. He's not going to lose a one. And you're living proof of that. Right? So. Well, he will kill them or he will humble them and bring them back home. Um, I would. That's a really good question you're asking. I would go to the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 16 and see that story. Remember, the son went and was in the pig pen, but the reality was he was a son. He was a son of his father. Yes. And no matter how far away he got from his father, he could not outrun his father's love. And not only that, no matter how far away, he could not outrun the reality that he knew what he had at home. And eventually he turned back. So God will kill them or God will humble them and bring them back home. But we have a terrible tendency in the world that we live in to just, we just consider that everybody that's ever come down an aisle and got baptized is truly regenerate in their heart. And the reality is that's not the case. I can tell you in my own life that there was a time in my life where I could talk the talk, but my heart was not right with God. And so we need to pray for our lost family and loved one. And we're doing that. I hope that all of you are doing that. But we're praying for our lost family and loved one. But this verse will help us in that prayer. Why? Because we know that God's not going to let one of them get away. God is not going to let one of his people get away. And so what do we do? You lift your loved ones up to Christ and let him do the work that he does. Amen. And it gives me assurance to know that his people are going, he's going to get his people. He's going to find them. It gives me a hope in knowing that. And sometimes it takes a human life, all his life, to really. Good. And we'll finish. That's a good point you bring up, right? And we'll finish with this point. And next week we're going to get back into this. I do hope that in the coming week, I know we're reading through the Bible together, but in the coming week, I hope you'll take some time now to read Romans 9 because we're going to see how that plan works out in the life of the children of Israel. That who he uh, foreknew, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. And so we, we're going to see that play out in the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Israel, and we're going to see, and not only that, we're going to see that played out in the life of Pharaoh, who is one that he did not know. And he turns Pharaoh over his own desires. And if y'all been reading the Bible with us this week, you see where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean God zaps him and makes his heart harder? No. What it means is, is that God simply turned Pharaoh over to his own desires. Yes. Yes. He simply turned Pharaoh over to his own desires and let him be who he was. And so... Um, the point that you bring up is, is that sometimes it takes de- sometimes what it takes is God's providence, yes. God's plan playing out. Yes, yes. And God uses all kind of different means to call people to himself. Yep. Right? Sometimes he has to scare the hell out of us. No. And I, I mean that literally. Yes. Right. And have you ever noticed that the times that you were the closest with God in your life is when you were sick or when you were struggling financially or when when you didn't have anything to offer? When you were at your weakest, that's when God, we recognize God's strength. And so God will use things in our lives to bring us to the point where we have no choice but to what? Trust him. 
Stop trusting in ourselves and trust him. And so that's what we're seeing in these passages. So next week when we get back together, we're going to go through Romans chapter 9. We'll, we'll go. This is a pretext of what's going to happen tonight. So we know that this is all God's plan. We know that it's going to work out the way it's going to work out. And that gives me hope. And it doesn't make me proud and arrogant. It doesn't make me cocky. It makes me humble to think that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son for, for my salvation. And I know me because through my life he's allowed me to know me. But he knows me better than I know myself. And to think that he knows me and yet he still loved me and forgave me is a, is a, is a joy that should, that's going to fill me eternally. And it should fill us all, right? Amen. All right. So now, uh, let me put somebody on the spot. We got one minute left. Uh, somebody tell me what's going through your mind. What, what are you thinking about now as we've talked about this today? What, what is something that, that stands out to you in the lesson? How thankful we are. Sure. That God created us. Yep. That we can be thankful. Anybody else? That he chose us. Yeah. He chose us. Yeah. That he chose us in him. Right. That gives us hope. And so it's not that we don't choose him, because we do. But as long as we yield to him the first cause, as long as we yield to him that he's the one that was at work to begin with, then I have a hope and an assurance that this world can't take away from me. And that's the point of the scriptures, to bring us hope and assurance. So let's let's close with a word of prayer. Uh, you had something else for me? Yeah, I guess we can say the... Uh... This is the Bible scripture. It, I mean, he professed men to write it, and it's up to men to share it. Yeah. With, uh, and what the uh, meaning of this Bible holds with its sure. covers. Yeah. And, and think about it, the fact that you are a believer today because those right. disciples did what he commanded them to do, which is to go out Amen. and tell other people about it. You have disciples all over this world. Amen. Amen. All right, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your love. We, as your people, are thankful. And we are humble and realize that but for your grace, we would have no hope. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his love and his mercy and his grace. And we just pray that in the coming hour now, as we begin to lift him up for the world to see, that you will use our worship and our praise as a way to glorify yourself. Work in our hearts and our lives and continue to help us to understand the beauty of your grace and salvation. In Christ Jesus' name we pray and make these requests. Amen. Amen.